the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Herenia Capital Advisors, a registered financial services provider, FSP number 47080. Herenia Capital Advisors is setting the new standard for stockbroking services. Herenia is by traders, for traders. Visit herenia.co.za to find out more. Welcome to episode 105 of Magic Markets. It is nearly the end of 2022. We are at the start of December. Uh, things are getting festive, I think, for a lot of people. And Pietri, things are noisy on that side because it is raining cats and dogs in Joburg. But before we cross to you, uh, let's say hello to Mo, who is all the way in Canada and uh, hence has very different weather right now. Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure doing this with you. And yeah, different weather in that it's surprisingly late in the season to not be getting any material amounts of snow. I'm probably going to jinx it. And then I'm going to say this, and by the time we release this recording, I'm probably going to have tons of snow, and then I'll post pictures of that on, on my social media. But as it stands right now, not horribly cold. And in fact, judging by the pictures I saw earlier this week of hailstorms up in Joburg, uh, I think I, my snow tires would certainly be better used up in Johannesburg on the Highfelt than they are being right now in, in Canada. But yeah, always a pleasure doing this. And welcome to Pietri Riddlinges from Herenia, who's joining us for this episode 105, as we kind of jump into a year in review as everyone kind of moves into autopilot and the festive season rapidly approaches. Pietri, welcome to Magic Markets. Thank you very much. And uh, please take your weather back, Mo. <laughs> it's, it's wild here. Sorry about the, the background noise. It is, Joburg is crazy. The last few days have been wild with uh, with weather. And today was nice, but now evening time. I, I, my heart goes out to those people who, who can't have shelter from the weather, right? Yeah, it puts the markets in perspective this year, although they've been... They've been pretty rough at times too. How's it been going for you lately, Piotr? What's happening uh, in the world of Arena and clients and your portfolio? Uh, well, I mean, I think I mentioned last time that the short-term trading uh, sort of hasn't gone too well for me this year, and that still is the case. I've kind of just taken a step back, and I'm holding, you know, basically just one position uh, in derivatives at the moment. But on the longer-term side, it's gone all right. I mean, we are still positive for the year, which is encouraging. Uh, yesterday, in fact, which uh, I guess for context when this is published, it was it was Monday, uh, the fifth. Um, I unloaded a bit of a bit of the oil ETFs um, that Mo likes to grill me on every now and then. Uh, so I didn't completely sell out of them. I just downweighted them significantly. Obviously, you know we had done pretty well on them, so just downweighted them a lot. So we're sitting about a third of the portfolios, both local and offshore, in cash just kind of waiting for a signal to deploy that cash as intelligently as we can, right? Um, so patient. I mean, I'll be honest, the uh, the client book has grown. There's a few new clients on the trading side on the book. Uh, there's a few new clients on the managed portfolio that have come in. But 
uh, volumes are down, right? So people are trading less. So I'm actually very proud. We haven't had a single client blow up an account uh, or um, you know close their accounts and withdraw and leave uh, the whole year. So kudos to them for being disciplined and, and working really hard uh, and managing risk. Right? I think most of them have done a better job than I have on the short-term side this year. Um, so so well done to them. And I, I we had a, a great series of events now as well, Traders Meetup events. Those went really well. Joburg, Durban, Cape Town. Those were a lot of fun. Yeah, Petri, I mean, just, just again for reference, the last time we had you on the show, we were actually congratulating you on those awards that you had won. So I just want to reiterate that for people who may have, may have missed that episode, go and check it out. Uh, but again, well done. And yes, it's, it's been a very tough year. I mean, yes, I grill you a lot on that energy on your oil <laughs> ETFs. Uh, but for context, I mean, you are probably one of the, the earlier people on that particular trade, which is why I consistently kind of ask you about it. Uh, it's where I want to maybe take the discussion today on this podcast is to say, you know, let's look at the year in review. Maybe let's start off there because we know there's a whole nother year as we roll over the calendar kind of month. We just keep rolling in the market. So let's first maybe look in the rearview mirror and to start off where you kind of left off on that oil stuff, I mean, if you look at your oil majors, at your energy majors in the US, just for the year to date performance, and it's almost a 12 months, I mean, we're almost at the year end, you know, you've had the likes of like an ExxonMobil up 74%, you've had the likes of a Chevron up like 50%. So you've had really, really big moves in a lot of those oil majors. Obviously, if you're playing an oil ETF, those will have come through. And only recently have they started kind of curling over, started underperforming a little bit. So, you know, how are you seeing, let's maybe look in the rearview mirror, how has that year played out from an ideas perspective? Let's look at things like your energy play, or for example, I recall things like uranium, and you had a view on rates uh, a while ago. How have those specific themes on a macro level played out for you with the year in review so far? Well, I guess in the re I'll start with uranium. So this is still something that I think that I'm very bullish on you know, for the year ahead. It hasn't actually performed all that well so far this year. I mean, we're up in the region of 30% on some of these uranium holdings that we have. So URA, uh, you know, being one of them, Global X Uranium ETF, uh, URNM, which is the Sprott Uranium Miners ETF. It's also up around, well, 45%, right? Which is which, which is not bad. But if you think that the, the higher the year topped out at 142% on URNM, it has come down quite considerably since since that. Uh, another theme that I think has gone mostly sideways, there was obviously a very big push uh, on the Russian invasion of Ukraine and that kind of thing was the wheat and sort of soft commodities uh, ETF plays. So veggie and wheat are the two commodities there. They're mostly flat now on the year as well. The oil stuff has done really, really very well, obviously. Uh, I think that Yesterday's timing to try and get out of it was was probably pretty good. That's primarily driven by by two things. One, there's a there's a major gap that's grown between some of these uh, energy companies and some of these energy ETFs, particularly those focused on oil and the actual spot price of oil. Uh, so that valuation gap has gotten a bit rich. So um, it seems as though you know the correlation between these two are, are relatively tight. And it's broken down quite a bit in recent times. So the thinking here is that either oil needs to rally higher to justify the prices that these ETFs are trading at, or the ETFs need to correct. Now, that combined with the fact that it looks to me like, I mean, oil now currently trading $79, down 4.8% of the day. I called it on the um, on the weekly game plan on, that was published on Sunday on the website. I said, look, it's not a, this, this key support level at 87.10, 87.20, that sort of region. 
had been broken once before. It was broken sort of in September. It then broke again sort of late November, came back for a retest, and it looks like it's a sort of a break retest and now a continuation of that move. So from here on out, I've got downside targets for oil. Uh, $67 is kind of first target. 67 to $70 is that first target range. So although I didn't completely get out of all the oil positions, we just downweighted them. Uh, you know, some of them, you know, you put a 2.5% allocation into the portfolio and the thing rallies 100% uh, or more. Um, in some cases, that they become relatively heavy on oil. So earlier this year, I did also uh, reduce some of those holdings from like 12% and, and so on down to 5 uh, and then now I reduce them all the way back down to, to 2%. So we're sitting with, you know, every time we do that, we're freeing up cash. There were obviously some uh, some ideas that did not work out so well that we just kind of bailed on because we were, you know, we were down on them pretty heavily. But that's the power of diversification, right? Some of the things in the portfolio are going to do really, really well. Some of them are not. Uh, and some of them will just sort of muddle along. So overall, I mean, we're, we've done all right. I think, okay, we, I don't know what today's performance is like, you know, what the performance is like up to the end of today but um, you know for the long-term stuff at least we've done relatively well our portfolios are all positive both local and offshore uh, the short-term trading portfolio has not done very well at all <laughs> so um, even starting to consider whether or not I want to to continue with that portfolio you know going forward but the long-term stuff has done has done relatively well and I'm, I'm very pleased with our performance there so hopefully some more performance fees at the end of the quarter I guess we have about a month to go to see if that's the case so yeah but I mean the major themes I think for this year has really sort of been energy and inflation right and I think now we're heading into a space where this inflation situation is getting to the point where it's starting to create a huge amount of concern and I think you know this is obviously something the market has been talking about for some time is how much does economic growth slow because of the inflationary situation and how much more difficult the sort of macroeconomic conditions are becoming for the everyday man, uh, and how does that if impact demand for energy? You know, with people sort of traveling less and just not being able to afford, uh, you know, all the things that they used to, petroleum-based things that they used to be able to do. So that's kind of where I'm thinking the energy trade for the most part, at least the fossil fuels trade for now, is... Um, least for the next few months is going to be very very tough and give back some of those gains and um, you know we're going to sort of see this return to value right right now we're in that part of the economic cycle I think that defensives and you know sort of military type stuff do really well utilities do really well so it's a really tough time banks also doing relatively well I think the ghost can give us more insight there you know on the sort of banking sector but I think that these these are the ones that are really going to sort of be defensive in difficult market conditions. I still don't think the market goes up over the next six months. I'm still quite bearish. You know, I'll eat my hat if I'm wrong. I'd, I'd like to. I'm sitting with a lot of cash in these portfolios that I'd like to be able to deploy, but we first need, you know, a, a solid buying signal. Now, that would constitute a breach below the pre-COVID high that we saw on, um, you know, on the S&P 500, for example. So if we trade down to 3,200 or 3,000 even on the index level, that could be a space where, uh, you know, we start accumulating or... If the current downtrend that we're seeing breaks higher uh, and we sort of have a little ABC set up for a new rally phase of the market for the next year or two, then maybe that could be a buy signal. But until then, you know, I'm just sitting tight and being defensive and, you know, just trying to block the balls that are coming in and score one run at a time where I can. Cash is a position. 
as people learned the hard way this year, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, something I've noticed on the JSE really coming through this year is those sort of value unlock trades. And really, there's been a lot of them. You know, examples are investment holding companies that have been trading at huge discounts for years. Grindrod was an absolute banner, for example. There have been others, a number of others, actually. And poor old Breit tried to do something similar and then had to can the listing of Premier, which uh, they blame on market volatility around this sort of President Ramaphosa, will he go, won't he go? I suppose we'll never quite know if that, uh, that, that is entirely the reason or if maybe institutional demand wasn't quite there. But linked to Premier, I don't know if you had any, I'm, I mean, I'm sure everyone has calls that go horribly wrong. The one that surprised me so much this year was Tiger Brands, actually. If I could pick one I got really wrong this year. It was bearishness on Tiger Brands for the second half of the year. They had a shocking first half. And suddenly in the second half, they managed to put all their pricing increases through. I mean, it's like it's still a business I don't want to own. But uh, I really thought it was going to have a bad second half and it ended up doing very nicely. So I guess we've all got a stock this year or something we got badly wrong. Mo, you must have something that has hurt you other than your Chinese tech stocks. <laughs> I was going to say there's a long list of Chinese tech stocks there, right? I mean, th thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, last week we, we had a nice bounce in some of those, so less less underwater than I was. But geez, I mean, that's that's been the the pain trade for me, I guess. Um, I think some of the other stuff that that maybe surprised me a little is stuff that we've discussed in in Magic Markets Premium. So the stuff that I thought was good, decent quality, Disney, you know, firmly goes onto the Atlas. You know, that's been a a massive underperformer in, in, in my portfolio, and uh, that hasn't worked out. And I mean, surprisingly, or maybe unsurprisingly, we've got the return of Bob Iger uh, and him kicking out his nominated successor, Bob Chapek. So and I think some of the shenanigans around Disney, that's been a bit of a disappointment in the portfolio. Um, also, bearing in mind that, you know, we've, we've spoken about the macro themes. We've spoken about, you know, what's happened with regards to inflation and interest rates. I think one of the winners in, in the portfolio was the ability to go short, for example, anything exposed to higher rates. So something that comes to mind, think of an ETF like TLT in the US, which looks at US treasuries. You know, that's really been a, a nice winning trade. And, and I guess the, the argument here is, do we believe the cycle's topping out? Do we think that central banks blink and pause? Uh, I mean, surely I, I would hope to guess, and I, I see Pietri shaking his head. We can maybe uh, uh, have a little bit of a, a disagreement here. I'd like to think that central banks are closer to the top of the cycle than they were at the start of, of this year. So I would almost hazard a guess to say, if I look at sector rotation, you've seen energy coming under a little bit of pressure more recently in the last month or so, compared to the year-to-date performance, you've started to see consumer discretionary stocks in the US start to shine through a little bit. So Starbucks, for example, coming through there, some of the, the hotel chains, which have maybe done badly, those starting to come through. Maybe that's related to seasonal factors. Maybe it's the end of the year, people go on holiday. So yeah, you could chalk some of that down. But I want to almost pick up on some of the macro themes and ghost. I'm going to come back to you with a question on this, right? Is that we've seen how banks, maybe in South Africa, but certainly globally, tend to benefit from the endowment effect. We know higher rates tend to help banks up to a point. And then beyond that, when growth starts to disappoint and come through, you've got an NPL risk, non-performing loan risk, that theoretically starts to kick through. So I think banks have surprised me a little bit more recently in the US where they've disappointed a little bit. They've come through. They haven't been a great sector. Now, what's that picture look like in the South African market? So the one thing I got right this year is thinking that South African banks would do well 
And the reasons for that are pretty simple. So, you know, how does a bank make money? It needs to loan money out the door and it needs to make an interest margin on that. So number one, high inflation means balance sheets are getting bigger because at the end of the day, you need more inventory. There are supply chain challenges and that inventory costs more. How do you fund it? Well, you can fund it with internally generated cash, but if you want to protect your return on equity, you need debt as well. So in general, there has still been decent demand for debt coming through. I must be honest, I was surprised at how much of that demand has come through from retail consumers as opposed to from corporates. I think a lot of corporates were perhaps burnt by the way some of the banks behaved in COVID and actually you know, deleveraged their balance sheets and are quite happy to remain somewhat deleveraged. Whereas retail consumers used those low interest rates and went nuts on new cars, houses. We can see it in the numbers. So the point is there's been robust demand for credit and then because of higher interest rates, you earn a better margin. Anyone listening to this, you know, think of your deposit account. Just because Prime goes up by 75 basis points, your debt gets more expensive. They don't suddenly pay you 75 basis points more on your current account. <laughs> Definitely not. So what happens to that margin? The bank banks it. That's what happens. Net interest margin goes up. There's also something called the endowment effect, which means they lend out their equity. And, uh, you know, if they can lend it out for 100 basis points more, guess what? They make more money literally overnight. The balancing factor here is credit loss ratio. So that's been pretty interesting to see out of banks in the last couple of updates. Standard Bank, Ned Bank, they're both kind of running within their you know, target ranges ultimately. And it was interesting, the Ned Bank you know, announcement had a bit more to worry about in it than Standard Bank, I think, if I kind of read between the lines. And you know, you've got to be careful with how you interpret these sort of voluntary updates. But the point is for now, credit is holding up. Interest rates are going up and uh, the banks are making serious money. And they're all talking about ROE targets in the next few years going up significantly from where they are currently, which is typically kind of 15%. So they are making economic profits. That's higher than your, uh, you know, your cost of equity. And going up to you know, 17%, 18% plus. So the banks have been a good shot this year. They've generally done well, except for Capitec, which was massively overpriced coming into this year. Another reminder that uh, valuations are important. Yeah, and, and not the international banks, which is interesting because, I, I mean, in the U.S., the banks have underperformed this year. And maybe that's related to the fact that a lot of, for example, if you look at mortgage lending in the U.S., guys have fixed their rates for 30 years. And so now they don't go and refinance necessarily now. So property markets come under pressure. But people who have their mortgages stay in their homes and hopefully continue making their mortgage payments. I mean, Pietri, what are your insights on maybe some of the global financial stocks? Do you have any exposures there? What's your view on, on global banks? That's been a sore point for me this year in that they have distinctly underperformed what my expectations were. We did hold some banks um, in the portfolio, but we did let go of them at losses. So at some point, stop losses kicked in and you know, I haven't looked back since really. Uh, the focus is really now on how do we deploy the cash we have. Uh, so we don't actually hold hold any banks. At it. Well, at least not in the offshore portfolio. In the local portfolio, we have some. I mean, they've done all right so far this year, I think. But I think that I'm a bit more future orientated in the sense that I'm trying to find where the next mega trend is going to be. You know, it's a very sort of strange thing to say, I suppose. But you know, we got it right with oil quite well. So if I could jump in there, I mean, that, that trend we were talking about earlier in terms of is there a sectoral rotation towards some consumer cyclical stocks? You know, what are your thoughts on that? What are you thinking there? I think we're seeing a rotation into value stocks uh, and to value um, on, a, on a global scale as well, right? So if you see uh, emerging markets essentially versus developed markets, 
that has been, we've actually been quite robust compared to developed markets. I mean, our top 40 index has done better than the S&P 500 so far this year. And that's not normal, right? It doesn't usually happen. So I think that that is where, uh, you know, participants on a global scale are allocating into value, trying to find where do we find undervalued stocks uh, and undervalued sectors and the things that really have been uh, sort of ignored over the last decade where, you know, everyone was very focused on tech and and that tech trade is unwinding and suddenly, um, you know, there's this realization that, well, hang on, tech is massively overstaffed as well. Uh, and these companies are... Um, you know, spending an enormous amount of money on, on salaries and on offices and on all sorts of infrastructure that they don't actually need to operate, right? Uh, so that sector to me feels like we've seen that, you know, we've obviously seen the deflation in their in their share prices, right? So their share prices have come quite, have down come down quite a bit. And I also think that uh, those are the companies, at least within the tech sector, where if, if you take the U.S., for example, where they need, I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but, you know, the central bank wants higher unemployment, right? Um, and I think a lot of that unemployment is going to come from tech companies right-sizing, if you will, which I think then creates an opportunity for us to re-enter into tech uh, in the new year at some point. But I think that the theme really over the last sort of six months has really been looking for value um, rather than looking for growth, if that makes sense. I think that's absolutely spot on in that, you know, with higher rates, we've seen valuations come down so much that maybe, arguably, you could even start finding value in what was a previously very overvalued sector like tech, like you've indicated. So even some of those mega themes might come through and you may surprisingly find the perfect intersection between value and growth. So I, I think we find ourselves at such an interesting kind of confluence and time in the markets. And I think your approach on, on waiting for trigger points is spot on. You know, sometimes that's the, that's the hardest part. Uh, and it's, it's the delicate balance between sitting on that capital and then finding the right opportunities to deploy that capital responsibly. So, you know, good luck with that. I think that's every investor's holy grail at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need it. So thank you. Um, also, I just also want to sort of spend some thought on, on Chinese tech, right? Because this was a major theme. I think we need to be wary of that because that's the most, and I mean, even I've licked my lips and I'll, I'll be honest with you, we have added a, a China holding uh, MCHI, which is the iShares MCI China ETF, which is, I guess, broader China, if you will. And also, just to speak to that emerging markets theme, we've added the JP Morgan USD Emerging Markets Bond ETF. So, but just a little warning, I guess, and, you know, again, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, right? But my thinking is that Chinese tech might not necessarily recover as much as US tech, uh, simply because the regulatory environment in China is changing so much. They really are, I mean, they really are very communist, right? That's what it comes down to and they really are kind of pushing to have you can have millionaires and you know one or two mega wealthy people but if you look at the crackdown that they've done on tech there's going to be a lot more state involvement i think there so that we might not necessarily see chinese tech companies rally quite the way that they did which makes naspers a little bit less attractive naspers process right so i think that chinese tech will underperform us tech on any kind of recovery that there is Right, so they really think generationally uh, in very, very, very long-term timeframes. And that's how they run their economy. And they're looking at, okay, well, tech is a major part of it. Uh, and we will not allow 
people like Jack Ma to rise to power again because they be, they get too much influence uh, and they can sort of speak out against the government and they won't allow it. And if we think that they'll do anything different to to stick to their view, you know, I think that's that's a mistake because China really, if you think about uh, the dynasty of China, or whatever, it is one of the oldest still standing, uh, you know, civilizations. And the reason is because they think in extremely long-term time frames. So I don't think that we see the Chinese government really allowing tech companies to flourish quite the way that they did without government intervention. And that makes them considerably less attractive for investment, right? Yeah, I mean, China's been so topical in that, you know, I've not been a China bear for a long time. That's been an expensive, that's been an expensive view this year in particular. And I think a lot of big houses, I mean, a stock we covered on Magic Markets Premium was BlackRock. And BlackRock are actually one of those houses that have doubled down on China. So, you know, China is one of those where, again, if, if you're going to be in China, you've got to apply the same super long-term lens to China that the Chinese apply. You know, if you're going to be judging this on this year's returns or this quarter's returns, uh, you're probably going to come unstuck. Uh, if you're willing to ride it out, it's not going to be an easy ride. But I, I still think there are significant opportunities in China. It's just really tricky on how you execute those. And I don't think you can execute those by just buying an index. And I think that's really the difficulty. Look, I think the way to play China is to play commodities. If they eventually get this COVID situation under control and they're happy and they say, okay, cool guys, no more lockdowns and you know, no more vaccines, whatever the, you know, whatever the view is. At some point, their factories go back to full steam ahead, right? And they will continue to build cities, whether or not people will live in them. And they will continue to sort of expand their reach into Africa and into the commodities uh, and mineral space. And I think that that's kind of like a relatively big theme for me is where we're going to see hard commodities, you know, steel, cobalt, rare earth minerals, battery technology. This stuff is going to be, is going to be massive, I think. And we're kind of waiting for China to really step back from, okay, zero COVID policy is now done for, you know, back to business as usual. I think we see a massive commodity boom on the back of that. Pedri, that'd be good news for uh, emerging markets in general. And South Africa would certainly get some benefit from that. We can have a bit of a commodity boom. So, you know, selfishly sitting here in South Africa, I'll, I'll hope for some more of that. It's good for our economy. And hopefully the tourists are coming back too. All indications are that they are. People are back in the shopping centers. All indications are looking good, you know, on that front as well. So actually the South African economy is kind of holding up at the moment, despite uh, all the craziness, depending which sectors you look at, obviously, but there's some, there's some good signs there. So I suppose, you know, let's sign off on 2022 on that somewhat positive note with you specifically, Pietri. You've done a lot of shows with us this year, and thank you. I think everyone's benefited from your insights. And uh, I hope you've got a bit of a... A plan to wind down a bit sometime over December before we uh, hopefully welcome you back to the show next month and next year, in fact. Yeah, thank you very much for for having me, guys. I've had some really good conversations with this year, and um, you guys have have made a lot of progress and have seen a lot of growth as well. So well done to that, and um, you know onwards and upwards for next year to becoming the number one finance podcast on the continent. It's a nice goal. I can go with that. Amen to that, Pietri. Amen to that. We, 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 we like that. <laughs> Pietri, thanks so much for being on, on the show. And uh, to our listeners, you know, we hope you've enjoyed this. Pietri's always been very generous with his time and he's willing to share his views. 
uh, and is unapologetic about when he gets it right and when he gets it wrong. And those are the kind of honest conversations that we like to have here at Magic Markets. So we certainly hope you've enjoyed hearing Pietri here at Magic Markets, this show, as well as all of the other shows. I mean, guys, you can go onto our website. It's www.magic-markets.com. Uh, you can search for Herenia and you'll find the entire library of discussions that we've had with Pietri over the course of this year. So Pietri, just from our side, Thanks again, just reiterating what Go said. Thanks again for being on the show, being a partner to the show. Uh, and we look forward to having you on the show again next year. Until next week to our listeners, same time, same place. Follow us on social media. It's at Finance Ghost, at Mohammed Nala. And there's also our social media handle for the Magic Markets Pod. It's at Magic Markets Pod, one word. So go and check that out. If you're not following us, follow us. And yeah, we look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Cheers. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor 